Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. Today, we're chatting with Cassandra Rose, the Global Benefits Director at Sprinkler. Cassandra has held roles at multi-billion dollar global brands and unicorn startups, obviously. She frequently speaks on the topics of benefits literacy and centering the BIPOC employee journey for transformative employee engagement. Outside of Sprinkler, Cassandra also runs Uprose HR, has a booming Instagram account from what I understand, but Uprose HR is an action-based boutique HR consultancy at the forefront of guiding organizations to uncover the hidden cost of not fully leveraging their diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategies to attract and captivate top talent. Love the word captivate there. Thank you, Cassandra, for being part of the podcast today. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things jumped right out at me just from that intro, just from your bio. One of them is belonging. It's not as common. I've heard it a little bit more here lately as a concept. So I'd love for someone like you that really is on the forefront of this to explain to me and to our listeners, you know, how do you define and introduce the concept of belonging when you're talking to those that you consult or even in your role at Sprinkler? And how is it uniquely differentiated from, say, inclusion? Yep. Great question. So when I think of belonging, how I define it is what every company's vision is Mm -hmm. at the end goal, right? So when you think about diversity, it's diversity of thought, it's diversity in the way that we approach work, it's diversity in life experiences. When we think about equity, we think about how do we provide solutions that support people where they are versus just giving out something and hoping that everyone can approach it in the same way. Inclusion is being intentional about those two, that we have the diversity of thought, that we bring equity so we're meeting people where they need. We're including all of this. Belonging is the end result. Mm. You feel like you belong somewhere when those things work. But that can never be achieved until we put the work in to get there. Oh, I love it. Okay, so belonging then would maybe be the thing to measure in the end, or one of the things to very much measure is how are we doing with these other strategies is going to be informed by a sense of belonging that's pervasive in the organization. So maybe get into that a little bit. How would you recommend asking about, like, what what does a question sound like? If you were to go out and survey your people around belonging, what does that survey kind of sound like? So what's interesting is we already asked that question. We ask it in interviews when someone's onboarding, why do you want to work here? We ask that question when someone's leaving, why are you leaving? So the data's there, right? If you have high attrition, if you have great people leaving your organization, they don't feel like they belong. That might be because they don't see a future for themselves there or they felt left behind. They don't belong. If you have more resumes than job openings, why? Because people see that the employees belong there. They feel included. They want to be part of an organization that when they look at your website or when they go to a job board, man, it looks like those people are having fun and doing work. 
I want that too. Mm, absolutely. How, how do you think that that plays out most successfully? That what you're talking about is what I typically call employer brand, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's what you look like to folks that are thinking about coming to work for you based on what the people that work for you say about <laughs> you, right? That's, right? that's the brand from the employer perspective. So what are the avenues where, to use the, the name of our podcast, like where employees brag? about their culture and about working for, it doesn't have to be Sprinkler, any organization that you're consulting or whatever, where do people go and find out or how do they notice that that belonging is happening and that the culture is rich and and meaningful? Yeah, I think before, and what I mean by before is really before social media, Mm -hmm. it was this very orchestrated campaign, right? Like, Whoever had the most money won because you can create the best website. You have people in t-shirts playing volleyball and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then you get there, you're like, where are the people playing volleyball? They don't seem to work here. (laughs) I've been there. Uh, (laughs) But now what I love is with different websites like Glassdoor, like LinkedIn. I mean, you can even go on Reddit, for example, People are being authentic about what their experiences are. And I don't think anyone's intention should be to make every employee happy 100% of the day. That's not realistic. I joke sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if there was a perfect organization, I wouldn't go because I'd mess it up. So let them (laughs) be how they are. I think what should happen is that there should be practices in place that lead to diversity coming through the door and feeling welcomed from the first time they submit their resume through the offer process, through being an employee. And even when they offboard, a lot of employers get it wrong with the offboarding, because guess what? If someone worked for you for whatever extent of time and leaves on a good note, they are your PR wherever they go. Right. That might help you land a client later. That may help you land a relationship later because they're still looking at you in good regard. So Mm. I think we need to restart how we think about the employee experience Mm. from the first day they ever heard about your brand name till they're no longer an employee and Mm. DEI and belonging should be throughout that entire life cycle. Yeah. Speaking of that employee journey, also, you had a very informative bio, very helpful to me, but the the BIPOC employee journey, right? So you just mentioned, how do we make sure that folks of a POC background, they come in, they're interviewed. How do we make sure that there's a comfort level right from the beginning, right? Where it feels like I could belong here. I, I, I feel as though this is an opportunity to feel that belonging. What what are some what's some advice that you could give those of us that are that are learning we're figuring that out kind of on that journey of understanding just to help us to communicate that well right when the intent is truly there right let's assume that let's mm-hmm. intru- let's assume the intent is there to facilitate belonging for all how do you communicate it well how do you bring that representation well in a really genuine way Yeah, great question. I'm going to give you my idea of what I think is ideal, because if I had the solution, I should be at the UN helping to serve the world's problems, right? We're all trying to figure it out. The reason that I firmly believe in centering the BIPOC experience, really focusing in, is that if the person who has the least representation feels like they belong, 
throughout the organization, everyone should feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. You've probably walked into a party or something. I, I, I heard this example, which was great. Let's say you went to a Halloween celebration and your friend told you, hey, you don't need to wear a costume. That's silly. We're adults. And then you show up and you're the only person not in a costume. You showed up as you. That was your costume. You would feel awkward, yeah. right? You can still have a good time. You can still do the drinks. You can still laugh. But the whole night you're thinking in the back of your mind, man, did I miss something? Mm. That is how someone who is one of feels every day. Right. And so let's call it out. Let's not pretend be like, oh, we'll just pretend that Jason has a costume on, right? Because you know I don't. I know you know I don't. That seems silly. <laughs> right. But let's call it out. I'm not saying be like, hey, you're different. It's like, hey, I know this may be new. What can I help you to do? Here's mm. what's worked for me, right? Because now I'm asking the person without the costume to tell me how to make them feel comfortable. They may not know this is their first Halloween party. Right. So like, hey, I know you don't have a costume. Um, this is how I felt. This is what we can do. Let's talk about in 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. Let me connect you with someone who's been with the organization for a long time. So you get a good sense of what they've been through. Let me connect you with someone who's starting right now. So you have a running buddy Mm. when you're like, hmm, do I ask Sally in accounting for this question or that person? They'd be like, I don't know too. And then they feel connected. Mm. It's, It's almost as though like you're going through orientation at high school or college. And all of a sudden we forget that these are, tactics that work at camp, <laughs> right? they can work in the workplace. We're all just humans trying to go into an organization, do our best work, get paid fairly, and then go home and spend it on things that we want to, right? That, that is the yeah. end goal of any employee. Why right. treat it any differently? Yeah, I love that. Excellent. Thank you so much for just that advice. I mean, I, I take that to heart personally, but I'm sure also those that listen just really, really need that really practically. Because I, I, I think and I hope that the intent is there or that it is growing. Mm. Sometimes it's just hard to know what to actually do and say with the intent that's, that's there, right? So that's just super helpful. I wanted to talk about, you had a LinkedIn post recently that's gotten a lot of traction. I read it recently. The article is the one about a DNI strategy that is costing your company millions, right? Or, or assuming that you're not utilizing that's costing your company millions. So uh, I, I want to highlight an excerpt from that that I really enjoyed and then just kind of ask you to expound upon it. So the excerpt goes like this. Just promoting employee benefit offerings and well-being programs won't eliminate health and income disparities. However, by creating a common language whereby employees can understand and engage their benefits with agency, they can better bridge the gap for themselves and their dependents. So specifically, I'd love for you to expound upon this idea of creating a common language and then, of course, engaging with agency that's a result of that. Sure. So what I like to say is that though I have 15 years of HR experience, I haven't always been in the benefits world. Mm. And when I came on as an employee with full-time benefits, it honestly felt like alphabet soup. It was like FSA, HSA, 401k. I'm like, is that a rap group? Like what (laughs) is all of this? I don't understand. And I am the proud daughter of Haitian immigrants. My parents came to this country in their 30s. I'm the firstborn native English speaker, and they had unionized jobs. So a lot of this stuff was already figured out. It was just, you know, you go here, you pay this, that was fine. 
I couldn't bring back all those documents that I myself didn't understand as an American and go, hey, parents, I know you have zero experience, right? So I felt awkward. And guess what? 98% of employees who are hired are not hired to be benefits professionals. (laughs) (laughs) So they don't know and they shouldn't have to get a degree in it to understand how to utilize these things that are super important to our lives, right? The ability to go to the doctor and know that I can feel comfortable that I'm not going to get this outrageous bill when I go out, the ability to invest in my future so I can retire with dignity. That's what these 40 years of working should equate to. Right. And now not only do I have to figure out my job, not only do I have to figure out meeting with my manager, bonding with my colleagues now in a pandemic where I may be remote, right? There's a lot of pressure already. Now you want me to choose out of one or three medical plans, put pre-tax dollars. What is that? Uh, Huh? In 30 days, I'm sweating. I'm sweating already. I need to go there, right? So, So I say all that to say, I've been there. And now that I'm on the other side, now that I've been in the benefits space for eight years, I will be honest with you. There are things that I'm learning because Congress, guess what? They don't stop churning out new laws and regulations and limits or anything, right? So this is evolving. And we act as though like, oh, if you don't know, it's your fault. It's not. And it never should make you feel that way. And so when I talk about a common language, we need to go upstream. We need to be proactive in the way that we go out to employees, whether you've been working for 30 years or been working for three days and say, hey, your health is your wealth. Guess what? If you are not showing up mentally well, if you're not showing up physically well, if you're worried about your finances, you can't be productive. There's no way that you're bringing your best self to work. Mm. So let's figure out a way to support you so that way when you're making these decisions, you feel empowered, right? And then you know which resources to use when, because guess what? 22, I'm young. I'm never going to get sick. I'll choose the cheapest plan. (laughs) Right. But then I get married and my spouse is like, I want the most expensive plan. So you're just you're checking boxes along the line, not really understanding that. And then when you're thinking about the BIPOC community, these sometimes are people who they may be the first in their family to be a college graduate. That was my experience. They may be the first one to have corporate benefits, have a 401k. If you don't understand how important it is to save when you're making little money and know that even when you make more money, hopefully (laughs) when you're older, That compounding, you've missed that window. So you're not able to say this. So there's so many different concepts. And I know you said you were a financial planner. You talk to people and it either they get it and they light up and they're like, oh, I'm going to use every single penny of my benefits. Or they're like, you know what? I'm just going to watch Netflix and hope that my benefits person will help me out if I ever break anything. Otherwise, I'm not even touching it. And that's what I'm trying to get us all to realize. We're all in the same boat. Let's make it easier for everyone. Yeah, I love that. I had a somewhat similar experience with being the first generation to go to college and these corporate benefits were new for me. And and sometimes parents can be, they can know enough to be dangerous sometimes, right? And they can give you advice that's just not good, mm-hmm. um, even if they do have advice to give. And, and so something as a financial advisor, I saw all the time where people would come in asking me and I would say one thing and they said, well, my dad told me this. And I'm right. like, now I have to tell you, your dad's wrong, you know, and, and that's no fun, right? But I think that's so important. I, I remember this is probably about a year ago, but I was talking about the future 
of benefits and where I think things are headed and talking about more choice and more of a a la carte and, and kind of this cafeteria style and so and all that. And someone that works in the benefit space challenged me on that and said, yeah, but people don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're picking. We can't let them choose for themselves. And I was like, whoa, like, you're telling me that we can't give adults volition to make their own decisions. And, and but, I, but I took his point, right? Because if the education isn't there to make informed decisions, then perhaps it is a little bit dangerous to, to give that volition to, to people to kind of go choose from scratch. And so the only way to solve that for people to engage with agency is to bring that benefits literacy, mm-hmm. right, way, way up. And I think you're right. It's, it's a common language problem because it's no matter what your native language is or what your parents' native language was, benefits language is not any language known yeah. to man. Right? <laughs> it is just, it is foreign to all of us, right? And so we've got to simplify and really talk about it in a, in a more human way mm-hmm. and bring more understanding. So no, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. That's, it's something I've been passionate about for years. It's fun to meet somebody that really sees and gets that and is seeking solutions. You brought up a good point about agency, right? Yes. You can today go onto a website of your choosing and plan a vacation on the other side of the planet. You can pick out your hotel, your flight. You can pick out the restaurants, book them in advance. Right. People have agency. People want the option to do that. Right. But guess what? They don't have the tools. So if I'm giving you a benefits guide, that's a hard copy, that's 40 pages. How are you even going to interpret the information, like you said, when it's in a different language? So we're like, oh, well, people don't know. They don't have the tools in which to educate themselves. Because Mm -hmm. if you can go get to Bali without me, you can pick a health plan without me. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They absolutely can. The intelligence is there. Yes, absolutely. So I'm curious about you personally, what drew you into this space? You said you haven't always been in the HR kind of people strategy space, but you're steeped in it now. And from what I can tell, leaning in all the more all the time, which I think is good news for all of us. But what drew you into this space initially? Yeah, great question. So I had a lot of ambitions. I did not go into kindergarten thinking, man, I really want to work in HR. These next 18 years (laughs) are just a pacing (laughs) journey to get there. I actually wanted to go to law school. And Mm -hmm. so when I got to college, I just thought as a stepping stone to law school. So I just went through it really quickly. I actually graduated three years at the age of 19. Hmm. And guess what? That didn't get me into law school. So I had my quarter life crisis early (laughs) (laughs) and honestly decided to become a missionary. So I started off as an inner city missionary in Philadelphia, and it was an amazing grounding experience for me because I was like, how can it be that we live in the richest country in history? And there are people who live 90 miles away from where I grew up in Brooklyn who have food insecurity. The dropout rate was 60% in that local high school. I thought that was egregious. And so I actually decided at that point that I wanted to do community organizing. I was like, maybe I should get a master's in divinity. And as I was thinking all of these dreams, my student loans were like, hey, Cassandra, you owe us money. (laughs) 
So I started temping. I was like, you know what? I can temp during the day and then mm-hmm. pursue my next goals. And every temp job I got was actually in HR. And that's how mm-hmm. I actually got into Pfizer and working there was a dream because I had never even thought like you read these in textbooks or in your newspapers and you're like, oh, okay, these huge companies. But when you're in it, you realize it's a system. And I was like, wait, 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 I can get paid money, real money to help people with getting a job. This is amazing. This is like the best job ever. <laughs> this is awesome. And that's how I've always viewed HR is that we are within an organization, yes, to support the business, but really to help people. Mm. And I've always taken that intentionality from being a missionary and taking it to every aspect that I've had. So whether I was working for a multi-billion, hundred year plus old company or working for a company that started after I was born, I always go, when I'm coming into this organization, how can I help people, whether that's recruiting, whether that's through immigration mobility and now in benefits, I feel most inspired and most passionate. This is where I can see myself staying because it touches so much, so much more than just the employee. How your spouse is able to interact with their healthcare is predicated on my ability to negotiate and educate for you. How your children, right, get supported what legacy you will leave behind for them in some ways are Mm -hmm. measured on how I'm able to build out programs. Mm -hmm. So if there's not equity in those programs, we're leaving people behind, even if they have access to it. And that's heartbreaking. And by the way, all businesses costing you millions of dollars. (laughs) Well, you just teed up my next question. I was going to ask you about benefits equity anyway, and being that you are now really in the benefit space, I want to take the opportunity to understand just for those that are listening, what is meant by benefits equity? Maybe maybe it's a helpful re-education of the difference between equity and equality, but it'd be really interesting to hear with those that you advise, how are you helping people, especially if you want to color this in terms of COVID and remote work as well, how are we helping people through this time in an equitable way and really supporting all the very diverse needs of the people that work for our organizations? Do you have some advice on that? So the way that I like to share the difference between equality and equity, equality means that everybody gets the same thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you'll hear all full-time employees get access to that, right? So we think, wow, that's super fair. Anyone who works here who is full-time benefits eligible has access to the same stuff. But as we just talked about, if I don't understand what a 401k is, I may not contribute. If I don't contribute, I'm not getting a match. I'm losing out on money. Then I leave the company for a job that may pay me $5,000 more. But guess what? Maybe they're, they're not giving a match. Maybe they're not paying as much towards your health insurance. So now you're making less money, not even realizing it. going to, So it, it can spin out very quickly, but that's a quality. We just give everyone the same thing. Equity is going, hey, different populations need different resources to help them get to hopefully equal outcomes. Right. So- If I am rolling out a benefits program where I have medical, dental, and vision, right? That's what a lot of people think about when they think about benefits, those health benefits. If someone doesn't understand the difference between a copay or co-insurance, that's not on them, that's on me. 
to educate them. Because if they understand what's coming out of your paycheck is a premium, when you go to the doctor, how often do you go? That's going to depend on what kind of plan you want to choose. And this is what you can expect to pay and all of those things. You might know that maybe this is your 10th job and you're like, oh, I got this. This is I, I picked out my plan when I signed my offer letter. Great for you. If there's someone who's like, I have no idea what any of this means. It's alphabet soup to me, too. (laughs) Equity is me sitting with that person or creating tools for that person that can help them get to that other person who's on job 10. That's Mm. the difference between equitable and equity. Mm. I love that. So, Cassandra... You mentioned Glassdoor earlier. I actually took a sneak peek at the Glassdoor for Sprinkler and I actually pulled one of those reviews off and I want to read that. But then I'd I'd love to hear from you kind of outside of your reaction to that. What maybe any organization should aspire to in terms of logging on to Glassdoor and what what do they want to read about themselves? Mm -hmm. So let me read you this one. This person, this is someone out of San Diego. Title was, I love it here. Big, bold letters, all caps. The best company culture, period. This company cares about its employees, work-life integration. Yes, we work hard and it's crazy busy at times, but I can work from wherever I happen to need to be. And for that, I'm grateful. Very collaborative, results-oriented, which means making quick decisions and moving forward quickly. I love that. This person loves a lot of things. Unlimited PTO, learning at your fingertips, wellness counts, and Sprinkler has invested in many avenues for its people. So I thought that was a pretty good review. But but I'd love to hear from you just on this topic of equity, on the topic of culture, what would be just that ideal Glassdoor review that any CEO or any, you know, anybody with a company that really cares about their culture that they might want to read? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And thank you for highlighting Sprinkler in that way. I think what works at Sprinkler is that we truly believe in treating each other like family. One of our huge taglines internally is people never forget how you make them feel. And that all goes back to the top of our conversation where we talk about belonging, right? When you can meet people at their needs, then they feel like they belong. And that's where equity comes in. If I feel like, man, I need to move because of COVID, we can all relate to that. And if someone's saying, yeah, do what you need to do to take care of yourself, I'm not worried about work hours. I'll work, I'll respond to that one email after 6 p.m. because I know that if I need to be gone between core hours, you trust me to do that. It comes back down to relationship. Again, things we learned in kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Treating each other with respect, that's super important. And I think that's what every organization should aspire to see on their glass door. That when people are putting in honest conversations, like, yes, you always want the top, but even if you're not getting that five-star review, what are people saying about how they're treated? Mm -hmm. If people can say, you know what, I wasn't happy here because of X, Y, Z, you know, some particularities, you're always going to have someone who may not align hundred percent with the values, but I feel like I was paid fairly. I was treated fairly. When I had questions, I had some place to go, right? Even if that person leaves, we, that, that to me is still just as successful as a person giving you five stars to estimation points. Yeah. Because that points back to an organization that centers the employee experience. And guess what? 
your employees are your business. It doesn't matter if you have the best product in the world. It's the people who show up every day to keep your company going that you need to focus on. That in itself will produce greater outcomes. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense because people leave for a multitude of reasons. It could mm-hmm. be that the, the the exact job, the exact role that they were looking for is open at somewhere and they just need to go right. or it might be any number of things. And I, I think it's really important to point out that if they're feeling that love, like they're feeling that sense of belonging, I read somewhere love covers a multitude of sins, right? <laughs> like you, you can mess some stuff up in a relationship, but when that, when that love is there, when people feel that sense of belonging, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's opportunity for people to go, Hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this organization. Yes, I left, but I'm still going to go out there and, and be kind of that ongoing PR department. Like you mentioned earlier. It's so. true. And Jordan, my personal philosophy is that love is the WD 40 of life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's perfect. <laughs> right? Because I've now seen it. I don't know if you've seen this lately too on LinkedIn. People will say X, their employer. Like I'm currently at this organization, but X Google or X Goldman Sachs, right? Because yeah. they still believe in that organization. That means that me leaving is not saying you didn't do right by me. Me leaving is saying that I'm going on to do something else. We're away from that 40 years at one company model. And we need to start treating employees that way. So again, whether they're just looking to join you or looking to leave, if people feel loved, that's what it comes down to. If you Mm. feel like people trust you, respect you, you feel loved and seen and heard, no Mm. matter where I go, I will always be your PR. Yeah, absolutely. In your experience over the past year, or for anyone that you're advising with your consultancy, has that been, I mean, maybe it's a dumb question, but has that been more challenging as a result of just not having any opportunity to see any team members at any time, no coffee dates? Like, how has that been uniquely challenging over the last 12 months? And what are, if anything, what are some ideas that have come out of that for you as we've all been kind of forced to figure out how to facilitate belonging in new ways, at least for those of us that were in an office prior? Yeah. So it's been tough because we like to think of the world as it was and think that we always just need to go back to that. So we're like, Mm -hmm. oh man, I can no longer tap someone on the shoulder, go get a cup of coffee at 3 p.m. to connect with my friends. And yes, I think some of that is still ultra important. And I hope we very quickly get to a stage where we can go back in office in some ways. But I almost feel like this has given us an opportunity for a reset. Because guess what? There were a ton of people who sat right next to you and never felt like you cared about them when we were in office. Mm. And being forced to create these Zoom... happy hours and everything else has given people opportunities that sometimes they may never have had, had this not occurred. Right. I know for myself, I was flying to different States, potentially flying to different countries because sprinkler is in 24 countries and growing. Right. But I can tell you, I'm speaking to people in EMEA, in APAC, in different countries now more than ever. Because I'm more available, I have more of flex time. I'm not in an office where I'm just waiting for them to show up once a quarter or once a year. 
Right. So it's really about how you as an organization responds to that. Are you going to meet the challenge and say, hey, I know it doesn't look like what we thought it would, mm-hmm. but this is our opportunity to be intentional with our time? Yeah. Or are we just going to mirror what we were doing before, get so busy in doing the work that we forget that we're working with people and not machines? Yeah. And that they can't just be forced to do work. Like you still have to meet someone where they are. Mm. Hypothetical for you. Mm-hmm. You talked about working with kind of brand new startups, also working with companies that are 120 plus years old. What's easier? Is it easier, <laughs> was it, is it easier to go into an old organization and produce cultural change because in that scenario, you have a ton of resources at your disposal, potentially, hypothetically, right? Or is it easier to go into a brand new company, clean slate, and, and build a culture and an environment from scratch? I think they both present their challenges in unique ways. But if I had to choose one, I personally would say it's easier to go into that 120 plus old company. You know why? Because wow. someone before you already set it up, mm-hmm. I can go in and say, if I do nothing, right? If I, Cassandra Rose, come in and do nothing, your company's still going to keep going. Right. Whatever I do, it could be incremental or innovative, but I have a running start to build from something. Mm. When you are in a startup, we're all building the plane as we're flying. Right. And some days it feels like flying in Jordan. Some days it feels like falling. Some <laughs> days, uh, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. But it's the thrill of it. It's the thrill that knowing that the things that I am building will be the stepping stone for someone else down the line to come into. And being able to leave your fingerprint on an organization in that way Mm. is so exciting and challenging and motivating that I love being in the space. I actually don't see myself ever going back to a 100 plus year old company, Mm. but I'm telling you, flying and falling, exciting times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that it's likely that many of our listeners are in that second situation, right? They're working for a younger company. They're having more kind of initial influence, founding influence on culture, equity, benefits, choices, all these sorts of things. How would you advise either a founder or that first CPO or first benefits manager, or anybody that's just thinking about people strategy, where do you start? to like, what is that first building, second building block as you start to build a culture in an organization? And this will be the last question because I need, I need to let you go. I've kept you longer than I intended. <laughs> no worries. I would say, and this is going to sound crazy simple, but it's true. Listen, mm. when people are telling you, listen, and as I shared before, a lot of people are like, oh, do we do a poll survey? Do we do it once a day, once a week? Listen, People are telling you what they need all the time. Mm. Sometimes they're saying it with their silence when they don't show up to those meetings, when all those events are happening and you're like pulling teeth to get people organized. Listen, when people are leaving your organization at a higher level, especially in one particular department, listen, Mm. use that information not to feel, don't use your ego to go, but this is great. Something's broken. And from broken things, amazing things can happen. And I'm not saying chase every employee. That is literally impossible. What I'm saying is listen. 
And then listen to people who have the wisdom, whether it's your benefits broker who's telling you what the trends are, whether it may be different affinity groups, business resource groups, employee resource groups that are saying we're coming together and we're saying this is what we need. Mm. Listen and let the, that feedback inform how you continue to build. Because if you're centering the employee experience by listening to the people who are showing up for you and then act on that, your culture will be untouchable. I love that. I, I would seriously doubt that after listening to this, you're not going to get folks reaching out and wanting more advice from you. So I said last question. I lied. Very last thing. I'd love for you to just share how you would like to be approached. If I'm listening today and I'm like, man, I need more advice from Cassandra. I got to nail this culture. I've got to be inclusive. We got to, we got to drive that belonging. And and I just want to know some more practical tips and help. How do I reach out to you? Well, LinkedIn is actually one of my main avenues. So Cassandra Rose on LinkedIn, I actually go by Miss Cassandra Rose. So M-S-C-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A-R-O-S-E. You can tell that I do this quickly. (laughs) (laughs) On Instagram, I put out a lot of content around different benefits that tie to national themes, but also specifically around employees. I love to be contacted there. And I'm open on Twitter or anything else. If you have a question, happy to do a coffee chat and just talk through how I can support. Wow, great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I learned a ton. I've got sticky notes all over my desk already, and I think that others will as well. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to Bragworthy Culture. We'll catch you next time.